Money FM 89.3, best of workday afternoon. Hello and welcome to Market View. Joining us on the line today is Abhilash Narayana, Senior Investment Strategist with Standard Chartered Private Bank. Hello, Abhilash, how are you? I'm Alyssa. Hi. Okay, I don't know about you, but the big news for me overnight isn't what's happening on Wall Street, etc. It's Malaysia's decision to stop exporting chicken to Singapore. Um, it's a big impact on me because it's about the only meat I would cook at home aside from fish. How does the news impact you? Well, uh, thankfully, it doesn't impact me much. I'm a vegetarian. But, you know, clearly uh, the, the concerns are valid that, you know, it could feed through uh, to further food price inflation in, in, in Singapore. And just uh, earlier this week, we saw that the core uh, CPI inflation was at a 10-year high and rising food and energy costs were the key drivers. So obviously, you know, it, it does put a bit more pressure on the inflationary expectations. But if you think about it, uh, we've, we've seen similar moves happen in other countries as well. I mean, we've seen Indonesia and Malaysia restrict palm oil exports to varying degrees. And mm. we've even seen India sort of restrict wheat imp- uh, exports. So, you know, it, it's not something that's, uh, that's unique. We, we've seen a few other countries do that. And that just feeds to the concern that at a global level, there is a risk that we do see, you know, further food inflation in the next six to 12 months. Mm. And if Malaysia were able to perhaps um, stem the tide of, 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 you know, price inflation for, for its food, will that have a trickle-on effect, a positive trickle-on effect on Singapore in the longer run? Well, uh, I think potentially, yes, right? I mean, if, if the exports are resumed, then that would ease some of the food inflationary pressures in Singapore. Uh, but yeah, I think if you think about it from a, from a policy perspective or from a market perspective, Perspective. Uh, I don't think it will change the direction that much because uh, markets are already expecting the MAS to, you know, further increase the slope of, mm. of the sing dollar ban in the October meeting, and mm. I think that that's that's still likely to happen. Uh, so if, if you're thinking about it from a market perspective, uh, while uh, US dollar sing pair uh, is trading at 1.37 right now. We think that given the fact that MAS has been tightening policy since October last year, mm. uh, you know, inflationary pressures in Singapore should not go as you know high as, as what we've seen in US. So we mm. expect Sing dollar to trade to around 1.33 in the next 12 months. Mm. Okay. Now, if we were to take a step back or you know a, st- a step higher, <laughs> you know, to, to look at things from a very very broad big picture point of view, um, the World Economic Forum is taking place currently in Davos, Switzerland. Uh, until the 26th of May, right? Um, and, and one of the top issues for, for many of the attendees will no doubt uh, be the recent turbulence in the financial markets. Uh, if we look at the S&P 500, it just completed its seventh consecutive week of losses, the longest streak since more than 20 years ago. So what do you think investors are hoping to hear from um, this forum? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And there seems to be a bit more interest around World Economic Forum this time around, given that it's the first one to be held since uh, January 2020. Uh, last year, it could not be held because of, of the pandemic. Now, uh, you're right. Uh, in general, uh, my observation has been that uh, World Economic Forum, while it attracts a lot of media attention, historically, it's not been that market moving. But this time around, given the backdrop that we have for the global economy, uh, we would be watching out for comments or outlooks from global business leaders uh, in terms of how do they see uh, economic backdrop panning out. Uh, and if you think about the stock market performance, uh, obviously growth scare has been one of the key drivers for the weak performance of stocks in the past couple of months. So if we do get a decisive signal, either in the optimistic or pessimistic direction from some of the largest uh, CEOs uh, or comp- CEOs of the largest companies globally, then that potentially uh, 
could be something that influences the market in the next couple of days. And if we hear nothing positive, <laughs> would investors be very crestfallen? Well, uh, I think then the investors would be looking at the FOMC minutes, which are being which are scheduled to be released tomorrow night. I think that's another thing people will watch out quite closely. I mean, if I can just uh, go on about it, uh, obviously Fed is trying to thread the needle uh, of trying to bring down the inflation uh, by hiking rates, while you know sort of ensuring that it doesn't end up uh, you know causing a recession. So markets clearly have been concerned about the growth slowdown. So, mm. you know, Fed speakers have been indicating that, you know, they are likely to hike rates by another 50 basis points in June. So I think that's fully to be expected to be revealed in the minutes. However, what investors and we would be watching out for would be any discussions from the Fed members on, you know, what they think about uh, growth and the downside risk to economic growth and how they perceive the trade-off be- between controlling inflation and the risk of slower growth. So, you know, there is a fairly high likelihood of uh, elevated volatility in the markets tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. And, and what I find quite interesting, too, is that we've got um, a good number of executives from the crypto sector um, going to the, this annual meeting of, of business leaders and politicians in, 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 the, Swiss, uh, in the Swiss resort. Um, what are your thoughts on digital assets and cryptos becoming um, the mainstream? Their presence at the forum, do you see that having any sort of influence on the development of these uh, digital assets going forward? Uh, well, I think before we, before we dive into that, it's, it's important to define clearly what we mean by crypto or digital assets. Mm, right? Okay. So, you know, just at a very basic level, I would probably split it into three chunks. One is the underlying distributed ledger technology or, you know, the blockchain technology. Mm. Second would be your digital tokens such as Bitcoin, Ethereum. And third would be your central bank digital coins. And the outlook for mm. adoption of all three can be quite different. Mm. So, you know, starting off with the easiest, uh, the, distributed, the, the distributed ledger technology you know, uh, our long-standing view at Stanchart has been that we see inherent inherent merit to the technology, and it has the potential to improve the efficiency and the security of how things are done currently. Especially when we think about uh, things such as smart contracts. So we do see adoption of uh, DLT becoming more and more, you know, uh, widespread as we go on. Mm-hmm. Now, if I think about uh, central bank digital coins. Uh, we've seen a large number of global central banks, uh, you know, uh, being in various stages of exploring uh, this concept. And we've seen a few countries, uh, you know, notably uh, China, even doing, uh, you know, for central bank digital coins. Uh, and given that central bank digital coins are likely to have regulatory backing, you know, I, I would say it's not too far-fetched to think that they could become widely prevalent in the next mm-hmm. decade or so. Mm-hmm. The one there is maximum uncertainty is cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin and Ethereum. Mm. And and perhaps you can refresh um, the minds of, of all our listeners, um, you know, on the MASS stance on these uh, digital currencies. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen MAS uh, becoming a bit more cautious in terms of guiding investors uh, around the risk that surround cryptocurrencies. And if you think about it, the recent scare we've seen in stable coins uh, is just another example, you know, that this space needs to mature. And we could see further regulations come, uh, uh, you know, uh, in, in the crypto space. And that r- remains the biggest downside risk in, in our mm. opinion. Mm. But if I think about cryptocurrencies in general, right, uh, when we think about it being a, a measure of exchange or, uh, you know, being a currency where people actively trade in it, there are three tests that we look at. Uh, first one is what are the transaction costs? 
if you think about normal cash, the transaction cost is virtually nil, right? Mm, mm. Uh, but for cryptocurrencies, the transaction costs are quite high. Mm. Then it, the second test is, you know, whether it's a store of value. Now, mm. usually, the value of a hundred Singapore dollar bill does not fall that quickly. Uh, obviously, inflation does erode uh, its value yes. over time, mm. but but the value remains fairly stable. But for Bitcoin, uh, we've seen yet another fifty percent drawdown happening uh, in the last five six months, and this is not the first time we've seen that. So, you know, volatility of cryptocurrencies is another aspect which uh, probably makes uh, some mainstream investors as well as regulators a bit more nervous around them. Mm. And the third one is, you know, when we think about testing about uh, cryptocurrency on the on the smell test for currencies, is whether it's a widely used unit of account. Mm. And again, we don't see cryptocurrencies being held uh, widely outside of the crypto enthusiast uh, community. So, you know, that's why I said, uh, while it's, it's okay to have a small allocation of maybe 2% or 3% of, of crypto assets in a, in a diversified portfolio, mm-hmm. uh, we, we, we are not big fans of it just as yet. Mm-hmm. Would it be correct to say that, you know, compared with traditional currencies that have, that actually, that operate or, or whose, whose value, right, uh, goes up or down uh, according to the assets that are backing them for a good number of these cryptocurrencies? I think uh, the, the example of Bitcoin was given. Um, they are actually not backed by any sort of objective criteria. Yeah, I think that, that, that would be fair enough to say. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's been so difficult for markets to, to value or find an underlying value for some of these mm, cryptocurrencies. Mm, mm. Okay, okay. while the Davos Forum is going on, um, the Indo-Pacific framework um, will, is set to begin uh, with uh, 13 nations. Uh, it's called the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework for Prosperity. I don't know. Do we call it IPEF for short? <laughs> okay. So, what is the significance of this framework for for Singapore uh, as well as the rest of the region? Uh, well, uh, that's, that's a good question, right? So, when when we think about Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, I think what's, what's important to uh, to focus on is the fact that it's different from usual trade blocks. So, historically, we've seen a lot of uh, trading blocks or trading partnerships uh, being formed uh, where you know countries usually agree to ease tax or, you know, improve market access uh, for companies in, in, in all of those countries. But IPF is not that. Uh, and the reason why uh, uh, it's not a usual trade block is because we've seen that it's becoming increasingly unpalatable uh, for U.S. voters to enter into trade packs because of the perception that it takes jobs away from, from U.S. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, when we think about IPF, uh, what it aims to do is integrate the partner countries in, I think, four areas for cooperation. So uh, the four areas are digital economy, supply chains, mm-hmm. clean infrastructure and anti-corruption measures. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the biggest scope for benefit for Singapore and Asian economies is supply chains and clean energy infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you think about it, uh, in the past couple of years, uh, we've seen a lot of companies starting to focus uh, on their supply chain resiliency uh, because we've seen multiple instances of uh, bottlenecks forming in ports. We've seen, you know, impact on supply chains because of lockdowns in China. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it is possible that we we do see, you know, uh, a few companies at least incrementally move parts of their supply chain to some of the member countries mm. in IPEF. And that's mm. where, you know, we, we can see some benefit coming through. Mm. 
Mm. But you know, when I, when I think about it, the time frame of the benefit, unlikely uh, mm. to have a big bang near term impact because you know, moving factories or moving supply chain usually takes uh, a, a long time to materialize. Mm. But when I think about the fact that in, in the past couple of years, globalization has come under some flat. You know, IPF is uh, something which is viewed as a positive because it, it's one thing which does strengthen U.S. and the participating countries' uh, sort of commitment to to ensuring that uh, we do continue to live in a globalized economy. That mm-hmm. I, I know it takes a bit of time to realize the benefits, but at least you know there is a light at the end of the tunnel, right? And someone's doing something about it. Okay, we have only about uh, a minute and a half to go. Um, I'd like to hear uh, more from you on the FOMC meeting, um, the May four minutes coming to be released uh, tomorrow, well, tomorrow in the US. Yeah, absolutely. What can so, we expect? Yeah. So, like I mentioned, uh, you know, uh, obviously, uh, FOMC meeting minutes would sort of uh, reveal what the Fed members are thinking about the future path of rate hikes. But if you look at the number of speakers who've come uh, out and, and uh, shared their views in press conferences over the last couple of weeks, it seems very, very likely that we'll see another 50 basis point rate hike in the upcoming meeting in June. So that's something which is expected by the market. Uh, but yeah, I, I think uh, the Fed's perception of uh, the trade-off between uh, you know inflation and growth is something markets would be you know, closely watching. You know, we would be watching now for what level and what kind of discussion Fed members had in terms of how they view downside risk to economic growth if they raise rates too quickly. And what do they think about, you know, uh, a neutral long-term rate and how far beyond. So we know from the from the last minutes that, uh, oh, sorry, last projection that neutral rate as far as Fed is concerned is 2.375%. So a number of Fed speakers have talked about going 50 to 75 basis points above that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those are just individual speakers. So, you know, uh, the minutes may give us a bit more insight in terms of how much tightening the Fed is looking to do. Uh, and if we do get a, a sort of dovish surprise, if it's less hawkish than expected, then we could see markets sort of bounce back quite, quite uh, quickly. Uh, on the back of that. Mm. And we have just time for some quick tips from you uh, for retail investors who are looking at the volatility of the markets currently. You know, what would you say to them? Well, uh, I know uh, investing in, in times like this is, is challenging when volatility is high, but I think what we've been uh, highlighting to investors is that it's important to remain invested in the markets. It's very difficult to sort of uh, quickly go in and out of the markets and, mm-hmm. and hope that you'll time the bottom. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you look at a number of indicators, they are uh, indicating that we are, uh, the, the market sentiment is extremely bearish. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, in times like this, it, all it takes is, uh, you know, a few good good news items and we can see markets bounce back quite, quite quickly. So, mm-hmm. you know, remain invested, but it's also important to remain diversified and have enough cash on hand uh, mm-hmm. to ensure that if there is, uh, you know, materializing uh, sign or signals mm-hmm. of uh, improvement in economic outlook, then that cash can be deployed quickly into, uh, you know, emerging opportunities. Excellent. Thank you so much. Always good to have you speaking to us, uh, Mr. Abhilash Narayan, a Senior Investment Strategist with Standard Chartered Private Bank. Thanks for your insights and market view. Thanks, Melissa. Before acting on the information on Money FM. Please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.